I'm excited to be here too, and we have reason to be excited, more reason than anybody else on the planet Earth or in this solar system or in any other galaxy that we can try to see with some type of high-powered telescope. Because the almighty God of all creation who spoke all that stuff into existence, can you imagine that power? Let there be, and there was, did that just for you and for me. And a whole lot more is what we're going to talk about here this morning. So that you and I leave here with that same power to speak things into existence. Are you excited? Oh, no, you're not. You're either asleep, coming down from your sugar high, or who ate the chocolate Easter money already? It's all gone. It's all gone, completely gone, yeah. Well, that's the intention. That's the invitation. I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. Almighty God, as we do come before you this morning, we know that there's so many things we don't understand. There's so many mysteries, so many truths, so many promises, so much love for us. Oh, we just hope and pray that we'll be good stewards, that we'll receive those things that you have for us, and we'll use them in a way that brings glory and honor to you. And we thank you for being a God who loves us more than we can possibly understand. And collectively, we want to say that we love you. And we thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I have one more prop to put in place. That's this table. And then I need a Bible. One that maybe no one's using. There you go. Like that ever happens, right? Oh, uh, There we go. Easy enough. If you have a Bible that you want to use and you want to follow along, I'm going to read John chapter 20 because that's the story that we celebrate today. If you don't want to follow along, that's okay too. I promise I'll read the words to the best of my ability and I will not lie to you what it is that they say. But we're going to look at John chapter 20, verse 1, and I'm going to read the entire chapter. Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. And we all know that to be John, who wrote this letter. And why he didn't say me, I don't know. But he wants us to know that Jesus loved him. And that's very important. Because who in here would say that they too are just like John and that Jesus loves you? Yep, this is going to be Participation Sunday. You can raise your hands. I'm going to get passed out bonus points if you give the right answer. So um, we'll see who wins at the end of the day, right? And every cell phone that goes off, that's not a bad thing. We're going to count those as exclamation points on the point of the sermon. So we'll just hold fast to that last thing that I just said whenever a bell or whistle goes off, all right? The one whom Jesus loved. I hope you can read this same passage of Scripture and say that I, too, am the one whom Jesus loved. Because that's the truth. Then she ran, she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. It's just like a woman to get it wrong. I couldn't read this, sorry. All right, so Peter, therefore, um, whoop, minus 20 points for me. Peter, therefore, went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. 
So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. I always think, is he bragging about that? I mean, why is it so important to say that he outran? I don't know. But he did. He outran Peter. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. I always wonder, why didn't he go in? Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself, all to help us understand that maybe he probably got up and the, unfolded that himself and laid it separately. He's already showing us that he is alive inside the tomb. That's what they're trying to share with us. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, once again, he's saying, you know, hey, I got you. All right. He went in also, and he saw, and he did something. What did he do? Believed. He believed. That is an amazing thing to believe. All of you believe something too, right? To some degree or another. You believe that that book is the Word of God, true? And you believe to some degree that what's written inside that book can empower your life. To some degree. If we had a, was it a Likert scale of 1 to 10 or 1 to 20 or 1 to 50, you would fall somewhere in that, well, I believe most of it or part of it or all of it, probably not. Most of it, may, I don't know. You get to pick the number. He believed. For as yet, they did not know that the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Can you imagine all the things that they went through, the crucifixion, the arrest, the teachings at the Temple Mount, how they were all kind of gathered and collected. I mean, they were in a weird place. Woken up first thing in the morning, raced down to the tomb. I mean, life was kind of hectic for them. And they believed that Jesus was the Son of God and that he conquered death, but they didn't really understand that totally. And then they went home. And I'm reading these scriptures, and I'm thinking, you know what? That's exactly where we are. We kind of have an understanding of who God is because we've been taught about it as little children in Sunday school or as younger children, or we heard sermons or Bible studies we've been a part of, or we've read the Bible ourselves. And it's, it's a myriad of experiences. And from those experiences, we have a level of belief that kind of dictates how we act moment by moment that fills up our day, which fills up our weeks and our months and our years. And when I, I would hold up for you that your actions equate exactly to how it is and what it is you believe. So whatever number you put on that Likert scale, you can now kind of see if that's true, if your actions match your number. If you believe that is the word of God, do you 
spend time knowing what's in there? Or do you, are you afraid of what you might find because you believe that's the Word of God? I guess that's another scenario. Those people walked and talked with the Almighty. And their life was up and down, right? They didn't ever get it totally right. Well, maybe some days were better than other days. And that's the same for us. We're going to have some days that are better than other days. When we live a life that brings glory and honor to God, that could be written down, and people could read from it and learn from our experiences as we learn from their experiences. They went home. We're going to go home. But Mary, she stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and she looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Now, when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said to him, Rabboni which is to say, teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. So Mary was in a weird place. I mean, Jesus was important enough to her more than anyone else, apparently, if actions speak louder than words, that she was the first one down there. And she understood something, but she didn't understand exactly who this person Jesus was, but I think she hoped him to be God. It was a mystery for her, but she knew she loved him and that he restored her to a different person because she wasn't always the best person walking the planet, right? Mary was the one who lived that lifestyle that a lot of us would look down on someone who lived that type of a lifestyle. She was in the mix of it. She wanted to believe. She didn't go into the tomb until after the guys left. She wanted to be close to Jesus, but she didn't quite know how to get there and do that and didn't even recognize him when he was there. But then she did. And that's how it is for us too, I think. We want to believe. Sometimes we're closer to God and sometimes we understand things more than other days. And man, life is kind of crazy. And who can do or take care of anything that needs to be taken care of tomorrow? Any of us? The answer is no. So everyone nod your head uh, whichever way you want. Or an hour from now. No. We can't control that either. We want to. We like to think we have things in place and we hope that they go well. But really, all of us, none of us, have any more power in the moment than we have in the moment. And if we do the moment well, and we keep it going long enough, we can have a really good moment. We can be loving and kind and generous and long-suffering and what are the other gifts of the Spirit? Self-control. 
self-control, and they're all written down inside this book. If we believe that there is such a thing called fruit of the Spirit, and if we want it to be a part of our life, it might be good to read it because it's a powerful thing. And we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. So Mary Magdalene came and she told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, I think it's pretty cool that on twice we understand that this happened on a Sunday, right? Which is why we come to church on Sundays, because are early before, um, shoot, Annie Armstrong, we're all descendants of, right? Uh, those early Christians continued to worship the first day of the week because they wanted to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Plus, they also want to be a little bit different than the Jews who worshiped on Saturday. The new believers, new thing changed. And we're carrying on those traditions as we understand them, when we read the Word of God and we enable it to change our lives. We become just like those first disciples who when Mary came to them and told them what happened, they locked on that first day of the week. And we're going to see here a little bit later that they continued to chart down the days um, as things happened. You can account for it. Okay. Then the first day of the evening came before the first day of the week, and the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Right? Because they were out there killing people. Jesus came and stood in the midst, and he said to them, Peace be with you. It's always interesting to look at the phrases or the words that God uses. Let there be light. And there was light. It is finished. Ooh, that's a powerful one. You know, when he hung on the cross and he gave up his soul, and he said, It's done? Just like in the beginning when he said, Let there be, he said, It is is finished. And now for the very first time, when he comes into the midst of those disciples, those people who he loved, what does he open up his dialogue with? Peace. Why would he want them to receive that before any other thing he could have said? Because they were anxious, right? They were scared to death. The doors were locked because the Jews could come in and kill them next. And he said, you know what? I know life is crazy. There's lots of ups and downs. It's hard to know what's going on. He gets it. And he says, peace. And I think if he was here today, the first thing he would say to us is, hmm, peace be unto you. You can rest in my peace. Because you know why? It's finished. I've already gone ahead, right? And I've prepared a place, 20 points, for you. And where I go, say that a little bit louder. You're going to be there also. That's all written in that book that we hope to be true, that we believe to some regard or another. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands, and they showed him his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also 
send you. Oh, crud. That's the part that is going to impact all of us, right? Because just as he would say peace to you, then we also kind of have to take that next little statement. He says peace to you twice, so you don't have to be really, really scared, okay? He says, I'm going to send you. If you believe me, if you believe in me, if you believe the things that I have for you, I'm not going to just tell you that so you can have a nice day. I'm going to tell you that so I can send you. Who believes that they are here today so they can go out of here and be sent by the Almighty? Okay, everyone raise your hands just just so I know that they work. Please, please, there you go. You can raise your hand or not raise your hand. That is the truth. And you can accept it or not accept it. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And you can be blessed by it or not be blessed by it. That, too, is a wonderful thing. That's what rewards are all about in heaven, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. You heard what it is that I had for you. You believed it, and your actions matched up exactly to what it is you believed. And you went because I sent you. And you were good stewards of those blessings that I gave you. And you got to see parts of that in your life when people would rejoice because you were there speaking truth into their life. And that's what we're going to get to if I ever get through this passage of Scripture. You are empowered beings. We're going to get to that. Okay, so let me finish. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. Right, I can see this happening in my house. When three of my kids come back and tell one of my kids, you won't believe what we saw, one of them is going to say, yeah, right, I'll believe it. Right? That's kind of what happened there. Thomas was, was not there with the others. Bummer day. Where was he? I don't know. Left mourning, in doubt, having a bad moment. And when everyone else brought him the good news, He's like, "Mm mm-hmm, I'll believe it when I see it. Fortunately for him, he does get to see it. So he said to them, unless I see his hands and the print of the nails and put my fingers into the print of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Because you know that's what they told him. You won't believe it. Jesus said, touch me here. And And Peter's like, or Simon, blah, 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 blah. But Thomas said, well, unless I get to do that, I'm not going to believe either. And some of us are there, right? Some of us, you know, until I have that gift of where I do this, I'm not going to believe. I'm not, he's on that rector rector scale, Likert scale, Likert scale of believing. Sometimes he's a better believer than other times. I always love the part that Thomas doesn't get credit for when God said, when Jesus said, hey, you know, these bad guys are coming. And Jesus said, ah, I should have had that donut. Thomas said, well, let's go and give our lives. He was at the front of the pack, willing to lay down his life in defense of what it is that Jesus had going on. But that day, he wasn't on his game. We're there sometimes too, right? Yes, if we're honest. So, and after eight days, so a week and a day later, so they probably already come together that Sunday and celebrated what uh, happened. His disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them this time. 
Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst. So they were shut both times so that Jesus, you know, is obvious, doing supernatural things. And he said to them, peace to you. Peace to you. That's a good thing. That's a blessing. Then he said to Thomas, reach reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. And do not be what? Unbelieving. Unbelieving. If he's going to tell Thomas to not be unbelieving, you got to take that passage of Scripture and hold it to yourself and tell yourself to be something as well. Not unbelieving. You cannot be unbelieving and be a believer in the gospel of Christ, in the person of Christ, in the deity of Christ. You have to believe. And your actions are going to match exactly to what it is you believe. Okay. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God, which should be all of our answers to him as well. My Lord and my God. Whatever you want from me, I am yours to do with. He committed himself unto Christ right then and there. Maybe again for the 50th time, maybe it was the 100th time. For me, I cannot tell you how many times I've committed my life to the Lord. And really, it ought to be at the beginning of every single morning that I wake up, right? Because it's a new day. And I can commit it, I can give it back to the Lord. I can purpose it in my life Say, God, this day you have given me, this moment you have given me, and I'm going to serve you to the best of my ability. Right? I can't really do that for tomorrow because I don't even know if I have tomorrow. Matter of fact, the Bible says you don't even, your life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. It's like the grass that grows up, you know, it withers away. That is what your and my life is like. That's what God wants us to understand. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Boy, I would never read over that passage of Scripture very fast and not hold up for you that blessed are those is who? But us. God is holding up a special blessing. Blessed are you who believe and who haven't even seen. At least I haven't seen. Has anyone seen? We haven't seen God. We haven't seen Jesus walk around the planet. We haven't been able to put our fingers into his hands and then our hand into his side. Yet we believe. To some degree, so it might be a two on the Likert scale this morning for you. It might be a 50. It might be a 98. You might be locked on and Holy Spirit filled and be pinging off the walls and be 110, I don't know. But blessed are you because blessed are we. We haven't received. That's what God says. And you can believe that or not believe it. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of disciples, which are not written in this book. But those, But these are written that you may believe. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life 
in his name. So to believe or not to believe, right? Everybody's belief in that passage of Scripture looked a little bit different. Peter's belief looked different. He ran right into the tomb even though he was slow. Simon's belief, no. John's belief, yes. John's belief looked a little bit different. Even though he was fast, he was a little bit more slower going into the tomb. Mary's belief, even though she was super doggone early, didn't believe it until later when Jesus spoke to her and she was able to hear it for herself. The other disciples, they believed after Mary came back and told them, except for Thomas, who didn't believe until he had to actually touch Jesus himself. Where are you at in that belief? We don't get to do any of those things. Or do we? Because if we believe that this book is the word of God, and I really think our Jewish folks do this better than any others, they won't even touch it. The Torah, they won't even touch it. They reverence it so much. They use a stick with a long little pointy finger on it as they read it because they understand they have been taught to respect that that book is God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Inside that book, it is powerful. And you might be one of the first people who runs into the book early in the morning and digs into it and finds out all kinds of great things. You might be the person who's a little bit slower. Who knows where you're at? We don't have to go to a tomb that's empty because we can go to a book that is full of life. Anybody ever do geocaching before? It's kind of fun, right? How many hours, how many resources do you go to go to some place to find an ink pen, right? Or a dumb little magnifying glass, or who knows, what'd you find? Do you find anything? Don't remember. We go to find stuff we don't even remember. Perfect example. Think of running to the Bible like geocaching. Except when you go in here and you find stuff, it's going to empower you in ways that are unbelievable. Unbelievable. And the reason God wants you to have those is so he can send you out so that you can glorify him and do unbelievable things on his behalf. Where is the hope? The hope is found in the love of God working through the hearts of men and women. That's where the hope is. What does the world need now more than anything else besides Jesus but hope? And they find that hope in Jesus, right? It's six one, half a dozen, the other. Hope. Keep me on track, Marty, official timekeeper. Thank you. God says where there is no vision that the people do something. Perish. What is the vision that you have to serving God? Can you see it? Do you know what your purpose is? Do you have an idea? Do you have a hope? Because if you don't have any of that, chances are you don't have any vision, you don't have any hope, you don't have any purpose. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And why Christians perish is because they have no vision of who they are in Christ. Who are you in Christ? Yell out the answers. 
a new creature, a child of God, free, redeemed, adopted, saved, a joint heir, a co-laborer. You're not a leader in the church. That's a bad analogy. You're a ruler in the kingdom of heaven right now. What's the difference? How many military people do I have in the room? Leaders are as to divos on a ship as rulers are to commanding officers. You understand that? A commanding officer is responsible for everything on that ship. He's not a leader. He owns that ship. You are rulers in the kingdom of heaven right now. You're not effective leaders. You have responsibility for one another. Just like the CEO of a ship has responsibility for what happens on that ship, you are responsible for one another to make sure that you're fed, make sure people's needs are taken care of. That's physical stuff. That's easy stuff. Let's go to the spiritual world. What's we are spiritual beings, aliens, right, passing through right now. Sojourners, we're just, we're weird. We're not even of this world anymore. As a matter of fact, if you have Christ in your life, you will never taste death. That's weird. My body dies and I don't die. Yes, kind of like when you lose a finger, you keep on breathing, right, most of the time. A fingernail, right? You can clip fingernails off all day long and life goes on. You've lost a part of your body, but guess what? You didn't even notice it. When you pass from this life to the next, only thing you're going to know is life in its fullest form. It's an amazing thing. You are rulers in the kingdom of heaven now. We are spiritual beings. And what the world is so good at doing is to get you completely off that mark. To get you to believe that you are physical beings trapped on a physical earth and you must be filled with physical things every day of your life. Josh, one of the baddest things is one of these things, right? Oh, oops, 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 there she is. We are trained, we are trapped into physical types of things. I got to tell you that God wants you to be trapped into the spiritual side of things, and you can only do that if you spend time in the power that's possessed in that book, which is God. It's got to happen that way, or you won't. And either one or two things is going to happen with your time in your day. Either you're going to live spirit-filled lives, which you only get by praying and exercising and feeding your spirit, and that's a great source of spiritual food, Or you're going to fill your life with material things. I live in the material world. Right? Who else can sing that song better than me? Yeah, I didn't think I'd get any volunteers. You can? No. Oh. Yeah. Rulers in the kingdom. Believing is equal to our behaving. It doesn't matter what you believed when you came in here. As long as you leave here understanding who you are in Christ in a way that's better than you were before, that you believe that you're a co-laborer with Christ, that you are a ruler in the kingdom of heaven now. Because as you read that book, as you jump into it, I hope, you're going to understand that there's power. 
in a spoken word. There, why? Thank you for asking. Because when you speak a word, it is an outcry of your soul. And the words that you speak come straight out from your heart or your soul. And so this book is going to encourage you to speak more, talk less. No. Speak more, listen less. No. Listen less, speak more. No. What is it? Speak less and listen more, right? And be careful that the tongue is a two-edged sword, right? And what are we supposed to speak into people's lives but the truth? And what kind of truth do you speak into their life? I want to give you four things that I want you to focus on as you speak. Hope into people's lives. If you could harness your words so that the only thing that comes out of your mouth is hope, you are emitting spiritual power into the lives of others. You can encourage them to pick up their mat and walk, right? We've all read that story. Jesus came along, some, some people, uh, a guy who was lame, and he said, pick up your mat, go and walk. Why is that there? So we can go and tell people they can be physically healed? No, because there are spiritually crippled people all over the place. And when you come alongside of them and you speak into their life and, and teach them to be encouraged, they can spiritually begin to move and go out and tell others about the love of God. Be very intentional with your words. Speak hope into their lives. Tell them that all of their sins can be wiped away. Forgiveness. We're going to get to that at the very end. Peace. Why is peace so important? Why is it so important to come alongside people and to give them peace? Because if you don't help them be at peace and find that peace that surpasses all understanding, which is found in the Lord, then they're caught up dealing with this thing that we diagnose, and it starts with an A. Anxiety. The world's solution to anxiety is to give you a pill so that your chemistry in your brain doesn't feel the anxiousness of your spirit. We can come alongside and, and we can hold someone's hand. We can put our arm around them. We can pray with them out loud or silently and their spirit will be changed. And when their spirit is changed, it dictates the serotonin and the dopamine in their brain which causes their central nervous system to relax and their muscles relax. It's an amazing thing. It's a spiritual thing. You have the power as rulers in the kingdom of heaven now to get out of this place and to go and to speak hope into people's lives and to help them be less anxious by helping them find peace. Hope and peace. Joy. Oh, joy is crazy important because what's the opposite of joy? We diagnose it. It starts with a D. Depression. Oh, depression. That's a bad thing. Well, it's a great thing if you're a pharmaceutical company because you can make billions of dollars. Right? Right? Sometimes medicine is important. I'm not, I'm not here to say that that's bad. Sometimes it's, it's important. But those people will tell you it's not a cure-all. It's, it's, it's an aid to get you 
into a different place, to get your spirit into a different place so that it can dictate the chemistry in your brain and you can find relief. And that is done when you are living a joy-filled life. What gives you joy? Do you know what gives you pure joy? The joy of the what is our strength? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, either that book is a lie or you believe it. And if you believe the joy of the Lord is your strength, I guarantee you, you go out and you share the joy of the Lord with people. And if you suffer from depression or sadness or mood disorder, whatever other label society wants to give you, you tell me that that doesn't help you heal. I guarantee you it will. I've walked the floors at Balboa. I've walked with severely sick, mentally, I will call them spiritually ill, injured people. I've helped them find the joy of the Lord, and I have seen them. I wish Ann was here today. She would tell you that she found healing with the help of the doctors, but more from the help of God. Being spiritually ill, sick, injured is huge, right? We all have souls. We all have bodies. We all have brains. The biggest part of what goes wrong with us is being spiritually ill, sick, or injured because we don't know how to take care of that part of our being. We understand it's important, and sometimes going to church helps us with that, and sometimes reading the Bible and praying helps us with that, but we don't have a well-devised plan, diet, exercise regimen how to take care of that part of our being. Finding things that give you joy that are Christ-centered, I guarantee you will give you strength. And how many times do you eat a day? Three, five, seven, all day long? I don't care. Feeding your soul joy all day long will make you a healthier, stronger, spiritual person. What's the last one? Love, 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 right? Love. God says love never does this. Fails. I can't believe he used the word never. Love never fails. Let me take you through how that works chemically inside of you just real quick as we close. When you're loved, you know it. I know it, right? It's a spiritual thing. You can't bottle it. Even though a lot of people drink stuff in a bottle to try to find some love, some peace, some hope, some joy. It doesn't work. It's just alcohol that warps your brain so you feel like you're being loved or you're at peace or you're finding joy. When you are loved, your spirit knows it. It triggers the serotonin and the dopamine. If you eat all the right green leafy vegetables so that you have the right serotonin amounts in your, in your glands so they can work like it's supposed to. And it's picked up by those neurotransmitters inside your brain. And it tells your brain, yo, you're being loved. And you're like, woo, I am. Your central nervous system says, yeah, I'm going to dilate your pupils. And I'm going to get your palms sweaty. I'm going to increase your heart rate. And blood's going to flow. And you're going to be in the mood for love. Funny how it hits me, right? It's a spiritual thing. It never fails. It conquers all things. God says, if you really want to know who it is that I am, I'm love. And if you really want to roll up all the things that I have for you to do, it's this, okay? Love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. Okay, here's another one. Love one another. Or is it love one another? Okay, here's another one. Love me with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love. In the moment that you have, if you can be loving, it's going to make you have joy. It's going to give you peace. And you're going to be sharing the hope that we all are looking for. 
And when you pass from this life to the next, God's going to say, what? (laughs) Well done, good and faithful servants. It's not rocket science. It's a little bit of neuroscience. But it's spiritual science. It's the way God has fashioned us. When he spoke creation into existence, he spoke some things that work well for us. They're spiritual things. And as aliens in this world, your job is to go out there and let them know that life is more than what this world is saying it is. And if you don't do it, well, I'll get rocks to, to cry out and sing glory to me. But you will do it. You'll love one another. You'll help them find hope and peace and joy. And forgiveness. Forgiveness is that super thing that can help people heal instantaneously. And how often do you forgive yourself or someone else? As often as you feel yucky from whatever it is that's happened to you, right? How often do you take a shower? Every time you stink, right? Every time you get dirty. Or you cannot take a shower and you can continue to stink. And that's what I think a lot of us do when it comes to forgiveness. We just want to walk around the world just being stanky, right? When what we really need to do is forgive ourselves or allow God's forgiveness in our life and forgive others so we can quit being stinky. We can get back to what it is that we're supposed to be. And it's full of love and hope and peace and joy. Yeah, it's really easy. And I'm really out of time. And I really have said what it is I think I need to say. What God would have us to understand. You have the power to assist others. You can come alongside and you're going to have those opportunities, especially if you're sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He's going to lead you to the right people at the right place and time and you're going to speak to them and they're going to be able to spiritually pick up their mat and walk. You're going to help them spiritually drop the scales from their eyes, and they're going to be able to see and understand things like they've never seen it before. There's one other thing. Oh. You're going to have your lamp trimmed, and you're going to be prepared for when Christ comes back. As you exercise these spiritual things in your life, you're going to help others heal. You're going to help others see and you're going to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. That's what God would have you to understand. It's all based upon upon the amount of belief that you have in who God is. And I hope you understand who it is that you are in Christ. How do you get Christ? Uh, Funny you should ask. Richard reminds me of a great joke. I'll tell you afterwards. You receive Christ by simply asking him into your life. Kind of simple. When you ask Christ into your life and ask him to forgive you of your sins, he really does come into your heart. John chapter, no, Revelation chapter, I forget my, chapter 20, chapter 3, verse 20. I stand at the door of your heart and I knock and any man who asks me to come in, any man, I will sup with him and he will sup with me, which means he will live with you all the days that you're on this earth. And when you pass from this life to the next, you'll live with him forever. It's that simple. If you would like to meet, if you'd like to know more about that um, and meet with some people from the leadership team, after the service, they'll be standing by. 
Say, I want to know Christ. I want to know for sure. I don't want to walk around this planet any more than this last moment not knowing who I am in Christ. We can help you with that. Or I know I don't have Christ and I want Christ. We would love to help you with that. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I know Christ and I haven't been living a life that's spirit-filled and I need to do that. Well, then do like those other folks did, like Peter. Jump straight into the book. Jump straight into the power of God. Find out what geocache miracle amazing nugget you're going to find. I guarantee you, you won't forget it. It will change your life and it will change the lives of those around you. Amen? Amen. That's how we close out sermons. Amen? Amen. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that you've given us and for believing in us that we can be co-laborers with you this day that you've given us. And I pray that we will do that, that we'll share your, your love, your peace, your hope, your joy with the world that's around us. And should you give us tomorrow, holy God, I pray that we'll do that then too. But until then, I pray that we will always be sensitive to who it is that we are, to who it is that you are in us, and we'll be good stewards of those blessings. Help us to have a vision so that we understand. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.